This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to the Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. Here is our review of Stage 5 from Val de Fiemme, a 10K Mass Dart Classic for the women and a 15K Mass Dart Classic for the men. And at the end, we apologize, but we get into a little bit of banter about some climbing books uh, folks might enjoy. First off, before we get into kind of the nitty-gritty details of some of the races, the course. So, you know, in talking to Matt Wickham today, he was like, yeah, you know, I was like, hey, give me your thoughts about the course. He's like, yeah, this could be the hardest course on the World Cup. What are your thoughts on that? Like where this, you know, stands in terms of difficulty and it sounds like today's 2.5k loop was had like four pretty major, you know, four climbs in it and some, you know, slippery dicey descents. No, for sure. I mean, you know what? The 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 2.5k course in Val de Fiem is a, it's a weird one for sure. What's what's really interesting about it is that the two climbs, the first two climbs of the course are actually the sprint course, or the championship sprint course, and the the, the climbs while not long are steep. And if you're not super great in your diagonal stride technique or or herringboning technique, then it's it's going to bite hard and it is a challenging course and I disagree with Matt that it's the hardest course in the World Cup because <laughs> Lillehammer is the hardest course in the World Cup uh, right currently, and Sochi is just insane. Thank God they don't have to go back there, even though it's very... That was a one and done. That was a one and done, but that that course was just ridiculous, uh, the skating side. But uh, no, no, for sure, Val de Fiem does have a lot of bite to it. Um, and the corners are tough because in Classic, you just burn. It's always fairly abrasive in in that area of the world, which means that your wax gets rubbed off. And if you're coming in hot into those corners and losing some of your wax right from that first lap, right from about 1.8 K, you lose a little bit of your kick wax. And then every lap you lose a little bit more and your legs get tired. And (laughs) when your body's getting tired and your legs are getting tired and the grip is getting worse, then it makes for a tough day. And then the last, the last piece where, where I do agree with Matt, that is a very challenging course is, it's long. It's just a really long course. Like the women are coming in at around 29 minutes and the men are coming in like in the high thirties. I mean, this is, this is a long race, uh, long course. So I think, uh, I think it is a very, it is very challenging. I don't think they had the most challenging conditions today. It, it, it has been just a nightmare. That race has been a complete nightmare. If it snows a little bit or if it gets insanely warm, then it's just, then that course turns into a real war of attrition. So they got a little bit lucky with the conditions. It was plus eight today, but the, the tracks held up pretty well. You could see while watching the feed and talking with some of the people, <coughs> sorry, on the ground there, it was getting it was getting quite glazed, uh, um, <coughs> which helps them quite a bit too. I mean, it doesn't help them on the way up. It makes it for challenging classic conditions, but uh, to get grip. But uh, it means on the double polling sections, if you if were that bonus sprint was from there to the top of the course man i have i have raced that race sometimes in like 14 15 degree temperatures where the skis are just sucking so badly like just dragging through mud almost and that that section there can be just such a killer whereas today i was noticing that they were double pulling the entire section and then just running up that last little steep kicker so the course is very difficult. They got a little lucky with the conditions today that they were so perfect. Okay, well let's um let's actually start with the women today and uh, a couple notable things. So 
one is there seems to be a little bit of equity, right? I mean, I, we've noted this before, like in the last race, Yohog is not just running away. And today she had to deal with, I think on the first lap on that kind of real sweep, you know, the, the downhill that sweeps left. And yeah, the hairpin. Up, yeah, the hairpin. And it comes up again and parallels that downhill. Uh, Yohog took a pretty good digger. Yeah, no, she fell. Yeah, Yohog fell early in the race, and that did not help her cause. Um, she was almost back to Yohog of old. Uh, Teresa has made such great strides with her technique, both in classic and in skate. Uh, she's very stable. She's very on her skis. She's e- she rarely, if ever, seems to struggle with her kick because her weight is always right under her feet. Uh, and after that crash, like she was rattled. I mean, she started rushing her technique. Her double pulling went back to... To almost double polling uh, of six, seven years ago for Teresa, which wasn't her best uh, period technically. And and then also taking bad corners. Taking bad corners, if you remember, after that first that first downhill where she crashed, or out of the turn she crashed, and just watching her going through that corner every lap was just like, oh my God, Teresa. Like she, she seemed to have lost some confidence and that wasn't helping. It was just not a very, you know, it's not often you see Teresa have races like she did today. And she just wasn't looking on after that crash. I mean, it's also one thing if you have a padded lead. I mean, she's, you know, I can pull up my stats, but I imagine there's that added tension of, you know, crap. I, you know, every second really does count, even though she is Yohog and even though she's got the climb at the end. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that that's interesting to speculate because, because you, like you said, that climb in the end, if she doesn't win that climb by a minute, like in time, I'll be shocked. She is so much better than the field in the climb. And like you said, she has a very slight lead now. She will lose that lead. Or she, yeah, I guess it's only 19 seconds. She, she, she could lose that lead tomorrow. Right. I mean, I, I thought Neplieva right till the bitter end today was skiing quite well again mm-hmm. in Classic. And Astrid Jakobsen had just one of the best races of her career. Uh, she was skiing beautifully. Her skis were insane. And that's good because conditions tomorrow will be the same. And she was a, it was a very well-disciplined race a very stable, a very confident, a very beautifully executed race by Astrid to take her victory. And, and here's some, I, I was thinking into this a little bit because Astrid Jakobsen, if you recall, in 2007, won the World Championship mm-hmm. Classic Sprint in Sapporo, Japan. And she's been a stalwart in, in the World Cup circuit ever since. She's been a real champion. But how many World Cup victories do you think Astrid Jakobsen had before today's race? You know, that's a good question because I was thinking back. I'm gonna, I'll throw a number out there, but I, I remember she had a really great world champs in 2017. Oh, no, for sure. Championships, yes, but I'm saying World Cup. Right. I, 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 that's a great question. I'm going to say this is her third, top of my head. No, it's her fifth. Okay. But, but still, but still, when her first world championship gold comes in 2007 as a junior, you would think that she would be racking up like 15, 16 wins. And instead, this was only her fifth World Cup victory today. And what's even more interesting for me, and I think you all agree with me, she has not stood on the top of a podium in five years. Her last World Cup victory came in Rybinsk in 2015. For all the medals she wins, and for all the top threes and the top sixes she has, she's always up there. She's seemingly always up there. It's only her fifth victory. So this one meant a lot in the way she did it and the way she executed. 
it was a phenomenal performance and i think she's going to take a lot of confidence into a classic sprint she hasn't been so great in classic sprints lately but remember she is the 2007 i mean that's like an eternity ago right but right she has she has some sprint chops and how she executed the last steep climb there and down into the stadium she was moving so well and so stable if she can have a day like she had today tomorrow she could come all the way to the final and if you're in the final in a classic sprint a lot can happen the girls will be getting a little tired too so it's Astrid could be a dark horse to, to be on the podium again tomorrow. And if that's the case, what a tour it's been. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just kind of curious. I looked up, you know, I always think that she is older than she actually is. Cause like you said, she's been around a long time. Oh, she's been there forever. But she's 32. Yeah. According to my fist stats here, she's 32. Yeah, that's true. No, she and is. I mean, but this ha- often happens in sport, right? You have a, you know, she shows up on a big stage in 2007 and, but you know, then there's a Marit Bjorgen, then there's a Johog, there's an Usberg, you know, there's Kowalczyk. Yeah, there's a Kowalczyk in Classic. There's Verpe. Right. Yeah, and there's Verpe Kuyten in a few years. There's Anno Kaiser and for sure. She was overshadowed, but always up there. And I think the most impressive thing as well, or interesting, impressive is one thing. She obviously trained amazingly well, but she took a real step back from the national team this year in Norway and actually didn't attend any training camps. She was training with her club, Hemming, in Oslo because the way it's working with her medical school education is very interesting. She's lucky she's Norwegian. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I don't think Harvard would. I don't think Harvard would be so as accommodating as uh, the University of Oslo. No, I don't think they'd let you take like 12, 14 years to complete your uh, medical degree. But but the fact of the matter is that Oslo is doing that. But every once in a while, they, she has to put in a full semester of school. And this is one of those years. And she made a deal with the Ski Federation to say, like, listen, from the fall, I'm going to be a full-time student. And I, I can't skip my classes. It, or I, I, this is one of the years that I just can't do it. it happens every once in a while. It happens every few years for Astrid that she has to do a full semester. And this year was that year. So they worked out a deal that she, she didn't get paid by the national team. It's a small salary, but she didn't get her, her stipend from, from the national ski team. Of course, she wasn't doing anything for them, not going to any training camps or media events or anything like that. So that's not a surprise. But uh, what is a surprise is that she did all her training with her ski club in Oslo. And the fact of the matter is today, skiing like she did today, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, you, you, you think of the Norwegian national team as this big powerhouse that uh, is so important to to be together but um everyone together and feeding off one another but uh it was it was it was amazing it was an amazing win and i thought the podium in general since we're on that topic Ebba anderson missed the whole first period because of her injury like we talked about before that running fall she took uh, she's been skiing really well when we talked last that she was disappointed after the classic part of the pursuit in toblock i was almost a little surprised were you I thought she skied well. Yeah. I mean, she looks to me, when I see her out there, she just is, there just seems to be no blips, very, uh, cons- you know, like consistent, always right there. Oh, yeah. And and so when I heard her that in the in the comments, she was speaking Swedish, but uh, so I needed a little help from my wife. My Norwegian's good, but my Swedish is a little tougher. But, uh, but she was saying she was disappointed. I'm like, wow, that's impressive because I thought she had a good race. And then today very well executed race really fun to see her on the podium and then the story other than astrid astrid was the story no question sure but there's but, a german uh, in there yeah katarina henning 
what that's the that's the wind the German team needed at their backs. It's been a long time since they've had a woman ski so well. Her best World Cup result to date is an eighth place at Holman Colon in Classic last year. But she does have an individual medal, one individual medal from the World Juniors back in 2016. She's only 23, and she is a second place last year. I remember, sorry, a third place. Uh, she was second at World Juniors, and she was third last year. I remember watching her. She had a great under-23 championships that no one really follows along that closely. But uh, yeah. I, was th- I was there working with the Canadians and, uh, for those events, and, and she was third and fourth at those championships, third in the, uh, and in the, um, the classic 15K race. Classic. The 15K Nascar. Classic. Yeah, so yep. she's, this is a big step up. It's a big, big step to go from third in under 23 championships and a top world cup individual result of eighth place, like blown off the back to third place in a mass start on a tough course. Like Matt says on a really tough course. Sure. There was some, there was some like Teresa fell and had a, and had an, and had an off day. Yeah, no, but she fell and she had an off day and Osberg. Oh, that was heartbreaking. Right. Oof, so my. that's the piece. That's the piece. Right. So, I mean, there's, there obviously, you know, you don't want to, it, it, races manifest in, in lots of different ways, right? It's like anything oh, can happen. Oh, uh, yeah. But in that final run up, you've got pretty much everyone kind of bunched together in that front. Everyone, the front contenders. Oh, oh, totally. And people are dead too. I mean, like you're tired there. Like, and you know, you have to sprint for everything you have up that, and that hill's steep. Yeah. That hill is very steep. And like I said, with all those corners, your wax, your grip wax is getting rubbed off. So you don't have the most amazing skis of all time at that period and your body's tired. So, but who would have guessed, Jason? I never would have guessed that you would have had five women there with 500 meters to go. Absolutely. So, so what did you see? Curious what you saw on your side from, you know, Osberg's snap to pole. Well, it was tight. That's one. That's what I saw. It was really clumped together. But what I did see, sadly, and is Teresa stepped on on uh, on Ingveld's pole from the back, from behind her, and snapped her pole. <laughs> so Ingveld had no chance, other than the fact that she should have never been pinched that hard in the first place. Right. But the fact of the matter is, she had her pole broken from behind her, and when that happens, that is just bad luck. Even though, even though she didn't put herself in the best position, being so tight like that, but you could tell she wanted to run outside of the track. So that's why she was trying to go the, 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 the shortest line she could. So, I mean, it, it, I would have done the same thing if I felt like I was just going to like herringbone or run outside of the tracks. That's where I would have placed myself as well. But it was so tightly bunched. And Teresa, yeah, she, she accidentally clipped uh, Ingveld's pole, took her completely out of the race, of course. Um, and in doing so, really opened up the, that podium. Because Ebba, Ebba Anderson doesn't have the most amazing sprint, although she looked good today. Um, but Henning is a better sprinter, uh, than, than Ebba. So this is a little surprising that she, she wasn't able to come around her, but Astrid was going to win that race. You, you saw her the whole day. Astrid looks so good. It, it tactically, technically, and her skis, man, 
Astrid Jakobsen skis are the best skis in that women's field today. And how fun is it when you have the best skis in the field and you take the victory as well? That, that was uh, that's ice. That's that's the cherry on top. Okay, so running down here, well, get, heading into tomorrow's a classic sprint, and then obviously the final climb on Sunday. But you know, Osberg's nineteen seconds back. Neprieva is thirty-two. It's pretty tight. Jakobsen thirty-three and fourth. Oh, super Anderson, tight. thirty-eight seconds back. Vang, who almost seems kind of like what happened. Um, 49 seconds back. Yeah, she got, she got tired today. And that was really strange because she was just pulling her same old Heidi Wang situations, which is just like, hang back and just wait for the sprint. That's what she does. You've never seen Heidi Wang on the front drilling it. Like you see Ingveld or, or Teresa. Never. Heidi never does that. And today I'm like, oh, well, Heidi's just up to her old tricks again. She's just sitting in the back and hoping this comes to a sprint. And then by the time the sprint manifested itself, she'd been blown off. So I was pretty surprised, actually. I was surprised to see her lose some time today. Uh, I was happy to see Sadie back up in seventh today. I thought that was a, a better race. Of course, I expected her to be in that front group. Right. I really did, especially when it all came, to, especially when it all stayed together. And all I'll say about Jessie is, oof, I spoke too soon about her beautiful technique in 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 Lillehammer because in classic now, the last few classic races, technically, especially her herringboning. Oh, she's got to study Claybo and or or even Astrid and and just really try and get more stability. She's too way too wide and was looking super ragged today again. Um, so as amazing an athlete as Jesse Diggins is, and she is that, and amazing and as amazing the stride she's taken in her classic technique, I still stand by it. I thought Lillehammer she looked phenomenal in classic. But um, the last few classic races for Jesse Diggins have been, oof, it's been, it's been some pretty ragged classic technique. <sighs> yeah. All right. So let's uh, take a deep breath there. Um, yeah, it should be interesting tomorrow. All right. Well, let's, let's jump to the guys race. Yeah, let's jump to the guys race. It's pretty much looking at the overall after today. Okay. Sort of jumping to the end here. It is a three horse race. Okay in my estimation. Oh, mine as well. Okay. Well, we've got um, overall standings, you know, Bolshinov still in the yellow leaders jersey after today by 18 seconds over Klebo, who leapfrogged over Ustagov. So Ustagov is now in third in uh, 21 seconds back. Uh, the next person in fourth is Surota from Norway at 127. So we're just going to kind of assume that he's not making up that time. There were some great moments today where, you know, you talked about like you took off the bear or the cub, right? Who's showing up and he, he animated late in the race. He really tried to animate things, you know, with about a, a K and a half to go. But here's my question. What happened at the time bonus? I mean, things are tight. You had a group of skiers up front. A lot of the big names, you know, the big names are up front. And, you know, I don't think Klebo is any smarter than any other racer, but he got himself out of traffic and he got himself the 15 seconds. Whereas, uh, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I sorry to cut you off there, but I, I, I agree. I mean, I, but I also think if you look at the guys surrounding Klebo, that was discussed. You know, that was discussed last night. Because you had Kruger burning some matches, you had Schuert burning some matches, and then Claybo wanted those 15 seconds. He wants to keep it closer. And 
in doing so, I mean, what is Kruger doing going for the bonus seconds? Maybe someone at home would be saying like, what's the point? You're two minutes back. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But he's doing that to take bonus seconds away from bullshit off. Not because he wants them. Sure. Just because he wants to take the bonus seconds away from the likes of Ustigov and Bolshinov. And they didn't have the same reinforcements around them. I mean, Holland was the one that got that party started going into that bonus. Right, exactly. That bonus was the thing. thing. That, that was just kind of, that, that kind of didn't go anywhere. Uh, he started a little too early, I think. But he was hammering. Oh, he was he was really hammering. And, and that was discussed. That was a strategy. You know that. When you have Kruger going over there and getting those bonus seconds and shoot too, I know shoot is still, you know, we say he's a long ways back for the, to come make a serious charge for the top three in the overall tour. But 127, if Schuert can pull some magic in a classic sprint tomorrow, I mean, he could make up a minute on a, if one of those three guys, we t- if Klebo, Ustigov, or Bolshinov ex- completely come undone on the climb, Schuert is a very good climber up there, up Alpshamis. So he, he could be a dark horse for third, but still, I think he took, that fight for the bonus seconds because the Norwegian team talked about it. They are very strong tactically and it was to take bonus seconds away from Bolshinov and they accomplished that. Okay. Well, no one really got away today, right? Until the very end. No, it it wasn't like a bunch of 20 guys at the finish, but it was a, you know, a who's who in this tour to ski. We had Ivo Niskanen at one point kind of going to the front late in the race doing his thing. Yeah. What was your sort of assessment of the race and yeah, general thoughts of that racing overall? Oh, you know what? It's a, it's a double-edged sword for me. I really like how they've taken out some of the bonus seconds because it makes this overall picture really exciting going into the last day, both for the women and the men. I know that there's a sprint tomorrow, but I mean, going into Alpes it will be tight because there used to be bonus seconds all over the tour de ski. And by the last day, it was really kind of a blown out affair. Sure. And, and now it's really, really tight. So that last minute decision has really tightened up the tour de ski. It's been a major change, but in doing so it's defanged all the mass start racing for men. No one does shit, you know, it, because why would you? What's the point? What's the point of taking a flyer, taking a risk and blowing up and being 23rd and being 40 seconds back because you tried to win and take some time on your rivals. If there's no bonus seconds to get out, to, to pick up along out on course, of course, you're just going to sit in and wait for the sprint. Cause okay, you lose to Claybo in the end, whatever. It doesn't really matter if you only lose 10 seconds. You know what I mean? It's nothing. Whereas if you take a risk and you try and go for it, if you're a distance-oriented person uh, by the likes of Holland or Magnifica or some of those guys, I mean, what's the point? You know, it, the risk-reward structure is just too warped. So in these mass start events, like Linsahida was a bore other than the fact it was chaotic. Uh, and today, right. today I found it interesting, especially like you said, with that bonus seconds, like going yeah, up to the bonus seconds. Interesting. Yeah. Going up to the bonus seconds, interesting. But the pace itself was pretty pedestrian. And when Ustigov did that last one and a half kilometer drive, that was very interesting. And you see what he did. I mean, Ustigov's like totally alone, put 10 seconds into the field in the last K. Right. Like, like that's, that's, that's a big dig right there. So he, he animated the race and secured the podium and, and pulled Bolshinov along with him. And, and Larkov actually had a great day kind of out of nowhere uh, so far this year. But uh, in doing so, you know, Colonia had a great day, but he got he was distanced by 11 seconds and then the field back from there. So, you know, without the bonus seconds as the carrot, because if you if you're a Holand and you go from the gun and you have bonus seconds every lap, 
like it's been in the past, if you have a gap, you're just taking bonus seconds every single time, right? And now, now there's no, there's no incentive. So it's like, well, we'll, whatever, we'll just try and stay as close as we can to the front because that's where we can gain time. And Claybo winning, not at all a surprise. I mean, come on, if you're going to come into the finish with Johannes Claybo, he's going to dust you. If we don't know that by now, we'll never know. Uh, Bolshinov looked good again. Um, but so, so it's just kind of like, that's, that's the hard thing with the women too. I mean, the, the women has been just such an exciting race all around uh, throughout the whole Tour de Ski. I've been really enjoying it. The men's race, not like I'm not enjoying it. I really am. I think it's been, it's been some really great racing. But taking the bonus seconds out of the mass start racing has just defanged it completely. And, and then we're just going to have races like this because tactically it just makes sense. It just makes sense to not lose too much time. And if you don't want to lose too much time, you ski around and it's a bunch and you look at each other. That's what happened today. So, okay. Um, we, we, uh, tomorrow is a, a classic sprint for the guys. And, you know, that is Claybo's forte. But we also have a field that's winnowed down to, I guess, 62 folks still remaining. Tomorrow, sure, you still have big time bonuses to be had. You know, oh, one minute. Yeah, a minute, 60 seconds for the winner. And it drops off incrementally from there, but not much. I mean, like people still can gain, you know, if you're coming in anywhere in the top six, you're gaining good chunks of time. One is you want to make it to the finals. You don't want to get knocked out and tripped up. Uh, but you're a bullshit off, a Ustagoff in this situation. How do you play it? Oh, this is so important tomorrow for those guys. It is because barring an accident, Claybo is going to take the full 60 second bonus. He's a classic sprint super champ. I mean, if you just look through his his history, how many classic sprints has he lost on, on the international stage? Very, very few, if any. Um, he has lost some, but very few. And on the when you're Ustigov and Bolshinov, you you can't get bounced in the quarterfinals, like you're saying, especially with a whittle down field and people are tired. Bolshinov on this championship, I keep saying it's a championship course. Maybe people are curious, like, why does he keep saying that? It's because in Val de Fiem, it's had the World Championships as recently as 2013. And that course was built and designed for that, that championship. And usually, like that sprint course you saw in Planitza, that's, that's a joke. It is. And at the World Championships or the Olympics, these sprint courses are no joke. And you have those two first climbs that Matt was talking about of the four uh, on the 2.5K. You're doing the first two in the sprint course for the men and that, that's a really burly course, but Claybo is going to just annihilate people because he can win so many different ways. He can beat you by sprinting up the last climb, or he can wait and out-sprint you in the last 100 meters. But Bolshinov and, and Ustigov, both those guys, they need to find themselves into the final. They do. Because if Claybo has more, I would say, if Claybo has more than 50 seconds, I feel like the tour is going to be over and Claybo will win it. If it's under that, it's going to be a very exciting last day. But the other guys that I'm looking to to have a good date... Wait, what was your time? 50. What was your time? 50. Window? Okay. That, that's okay. what I think. I mean, because Klebo, Bolshinov is stronger. Ustyukov is a big guy, though, and I'm just not quite sure how good he'll be up that climb. Uh, he needs some time if he wants to compete. And should you know what? Shoot... He's he so every once in a while he can be a good a good sprinter especially late in this tour he's coming on fifth today was good he looked great double pulling it's a challenging course if Shud for example gets into the semifinals and Ustigov gets bounced in the in the quarters now all of a sudden Shud is like 
30 odd 40 seconds back and i mean he can mm -hmm. do some damage there too but the guys to look for tomorrow uh, aside from the top three they should all make the final they, they kind of need to but um my friend callie halverson i mean it's a good course for him i was just gonna should, mention no but it should be you know it should be a good course for callie and and this should be a good chance for him evo as well you know you don't think of evo as a big sprinter and he's not but on a championship course that's challenging with steep hills i was a little surprised today that he was back in 10th that was weird because because yeah. his his quote-unquote time in the front wasn't a dig like he wasn't digging in the front he wasn't doing anything and um so i was a little surprised to see him back in 10th don't know if he's feeling a little tired or anything but but evo could be a distance guy that surprises and then and then from there i mean you just have to look to the sprinters that are still in the tour i mean paul goldberg you, you'd expect him to have a great day tomorrow and uh some of the other guys but um like you said a lot of sprinters missing pretty much all of them so it's up to these distance guys to to have uh have a lucky day and like you said if you can make to the semis if you're anyone except for the top three making it to the semis can really help your bid in coming top 10 in this tour to ski and if you're the top three you kind of need to be in the final <laughs> and i see our uh, Italian friend there, Federico Pellegrino, who obviously is more known for his uh, skate sprinting, but he's still in the game. Think he makes it for tomorrow sure. to the final? Uh, he should. I mean, he was second in the Olympic Games in the classic sprint. He's really, really improved his classic sprinting. So he should be. It's um, He should be in there for the final. But like, like you've said a little bit too, and we've talked about this a little bit with Pellegrino, he's been a little all over the place with the sprinting this year too. He's had, he's had some races. I mean, when we were talking about Davos, we're like, Pellegrino is going to be for sure second. And then he was down in eighth. And that was a short skate sprint, which you expect him to be good. So it's hard to know how people's bodies react. Quite frankly, the Tour de Ski these days is nothing compared to the Tour de Ski when they came up with the concept. Then we had like a 36K, a 30K. The Val de Fiem race was a 30K, not a 15 the day before the, the final climb we had to travel all over the place we were going from like nova mesto to oberhof to to prague to the state longer stages everything was so much harder and this tour de ski i mean i keep saying like oh people are a little tired but they really shouldn't be all that tired because these races yeah they're they're tough but i mean the travel is not that hard two two and a half hours of travel between between venues and 15 k's and sprints these aren't these aren't that punishing like that Cortina toe block stage or a 30 K in Val de Fiam. Like that was a real ass kicker. Right, like, that seriously. was like a point to point <laughs> that maybe Sunby won that race. Is that right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's won that sometimes. There's been a lot of different Dario was always a beast. The point to point from Cortina to toe block. And it started with a 17 K climb. Well, okay. Well that, that's sort of, I was going to ask you that question. What are people feeling like? I mean, it's sort of like when, you know, you think of the tour de France everybody essentially is doing the same race, give or take for the sprinters who are kind of hanging back on the big fat climbs. But there is fatigue, right? I mean... Oh, there is fatigue. There is absolutely fatigue. And, and for the guys at the top fighting for the top, there's that mental stress. Right. Because you just can't have a bad day. You know what I mean? You can't. And when you do have a bad day, you have to put it behind you incredibly quickly because you have to manage your energy so well. You, you can't have a sad, you can't be, you have to be a professional and that means, okay, I'm going to deal with the disappointment of this later, or I'm going to say when I get in the car and I drive back to the hotel, as soon as I open the door 
of my hotel room that all the feelings from my disappointing day are, are gone. I can't take them into my hotel room because I don't have time. I have to recover and I have to get ready for tomorrow. So that is a change. And so that, there's that mental energy, that, that piece that you get tired doing that. And of course, like racing every day or racing every couple of days, of course, it, it, it creates stress on the body. That's, I'm not trying to belittle that. It is, sure. you do get tired. You do get tired, but you're just not nearly as tired um, in these tour de skis that, uh, compared with the first ones when you had multiple 30Ks and like travel days of seven hours. <laughs> you, know? Sure. you know what I mean? Yep. So, so the, yep. top guys, the top guys should be feeling pretty good. I mean, I would be very surprised if any of the men or women felt like wrecked because it's just not that hard. You know, like the stress is hard. The stress of wanting to have a good day every day is hard. And that, that, that routine, doing your, your warm up routine, the breakfast, waking up, going to bed, you're nervous when you go to bed and you're nervous when you wake up and doing your morning jog and doing your visualization and eating breakfast. I mean, these are things you're used to doing twice a week, not, not every day. And so for sure that, that does take its toll, but people should be still feeling pretty good. What did you do back in the day for, you know, I always think of, you know, whatever it is that I have a tough time always shutting down my mind. That's, that's my, that's why I don't nap. Can't shut the brain off. (laughs) Um, but that said, you know, what, what did you do back in the day when you're like, okay, I'm, I'm a little anxious. I'm nervous about the next, you know, whether it's a, a stage that's coming up or it's like a big championship race. Yeah. What was your method to just chill or try to chill? Oh, that, uh, any one of my teammates, especially Alex, who I roomed with like 97.5% of the time in my whole career, uh, he'll just laugh hearing me say this, but uh, no, for sure, I was anxious. I mean, I get I get crazy nervous. I mean, I don't know how many World Cup starts I've done, but all way too many, and and championships as well, and tour de skis. I love the tour de ski. I mean, the tour de ski is my favorite event, um, uh, for sure. It was it's so fun, uh, but for sure, uh, it was hard. It was really hard for me to turn my mind off and and relax and rest. And Alex was a real master of that, and I never really mastered it. But small strategies for me, routines were really important to me. Um, some would say superstitions, but that's fine. I'm grew up in Sudbury, Ontario, played a lot of hockey. So you can say that, but, but you know, I journal, I journal. So that, 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 that was, really? yeah. Yeah. So that, that really, really helped me, especially in these tour formats, because even if I didn't manage to like take a disappointing day and leave it at the race stadium, say I took it into the hotel room and took it into the evening. I knew once I sat down and journaled that like, after I wrote down, like that was done when I closed the journal, it was over. And, and that worked. That worked for me. Roughly. That that no no not okay. roughly. That worked for me. Absolutely, it did. And another thing is that in the mornings, I go for and and in the evenings too. I mean, Alex and I would go for runs at like eight thirty or nine p.m. Just just like twenty minutes, get some air, talk some shit. <clears throat> that really helped me relax, and it became a routine. And same in the morning. When you wake up in the morning, you before you have breakfast, go out for a 10, 15 minute jog, get some air really try and have some perspective in those moments that really helped me too especially in beautiful places like Val de Fiem like you're outside you're in central Europe you see beautiful mountains around you the sun is shining perhaps take a deep breath and be like wow I am so fortunate to be here and then the nerves come of course the nerves come but but in my journaling too I was very um very deliberate with I wrote down my warm-up I would write down um I would write down like how my morning would go so it'd be like up at eight, eat break, run, eat breakfast at eight twenty, and then and then I didn't go back to that journal and keep checking like am I on schedule? But it really relaxed me. So the next day, I would just kind of do the same thing. It's like okay, set my alarm for this, and then you just kind of rolls along, and that really helped me stay on task and and uh, 
and manage my energy well. And another thing too, we talked about disappointments, but you also have to look at when things go well, that takes a lot of energy as well. I mean, I've had a couple, I've had some tour de skis where I was on the podium multiple times in, in, in various stages and you have the award ceremony and then you have doping control and then you're just psyched. You're like, yeah, buddy, you know, but you have a, you have a stage the next day and, and it's hard to fall asleep after you've won a world cup or after you've been on the podium three days in a row. It's hard to fall asleep because you're like, whoa, can I do it again? Can I do it again? And that's where, that's where like journaling really, really helped me. I travel with my guitar. I'm a horrendous musician. Uh, oh yeah, I'm a hack, like a two bit, not even a two bit. What's your go to? No, go to. Just blues. I like playing the blues. <laughs> okay, well, that's like a little more sophisticated than like a five chord progression stairway to heaven. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not playing like I'm not playing hot crust buns, but I'm really bad. But I, I travel with my okay. guitar, and I'm, I've always been. In, I've always enjoyed reading, and I'm old school, so I would just travel to Europe with like an immense amount of books. And Alex could also attest to that. That I'd just be like lying in my bed reading books and Alex would be like, Oh my God, who are you? You're like a grandpa. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I, I do, I did. I've always, I always enjoyed reading and that also helped calm me. You know, part of the routine, yeah, right? Sure. From reading about, from reading uh, a novel or some nonfiction, uh, some current events or economics or, or uh, climbing. I'm just such a climbing dork. So a lot of climbing books I'd, I'd read on the road and that, that always would take me out of my, out of the bubble. And I really leaned on those strategies for sure. And I think that helped me in tour de skis. Okay. As we close out favorite climbing, favorite climbing book, favorite climbing documentary. Oh my God. Favorite climbing. Oh, these are tough really? questions, man. But my favorite, no, not really. Actually, I'm okay. just kidding. It's not my, fa- my favorite climbing book is the push by Tommy Caldwell. It's actually my second favorite sporting book really? I've ever read. Uh, yeah. My favorite mm. sporting book I've ever read is, is Agassiz open. Yeah. If you haven't yeah, read under yeah. Agassiz High open for that book. It is the best. It is the best sports book I've ever read. Tommy Caldwell's book was so good and it moved me that the one and only time I sent a, like an email, like a fan mail, yeah. like I actually finished that book and I sent like just on Tommy Caldwell's website. I'm just like a short, like it's like, wow, I found this book so inspiring and it was so well written. Thank you. Never heard back, but really? it was an amazing book. I wouldn't have written myself back either, but it was. And then of course, like some other classic climbing books. I love like the real classics, you know? Like Annapurna or the White Spider. I mean, like these are crazy. Gotcha. Yeah, like, a little Herzog. Oh, or something. for sure, totally. But but the rock climbing stuff, I really like that. And then my favorite climbing like documentary. You know what, man? I've watched it probably six or seven times, and I know it's so played. But the shots that Jimmy Chin was able to get on free solo. What? We're talking about the tour de ski. We're talking about the tour de ski. There's some amazing performances, but I think the the most impressive athletic feat of the last ever is free soloing El Cap. Go to Yosemite, go hike to the top of El Cap or just walk to the base and look up. It's, it's, it's ridiculous that he was able to do that without rope. So uh, it was actually just on uh, New Year's, uh, New Year's day. Actually, I watched it again. I watched it again for like the sixth time and my hands were still sweating. So uh, yeah, what a, what a, what, what a, what a feat, but here's some homework. Okay. Read the tower. Oh, I love the tower. Oh my god, I love the tower. Okay, so oh that's my, my buddy Kelly. Yeah, Kelly Cords is the one. Kelly Cords. Kelly Cords. Yeah. Oh my god, really? the tower. Oh yeah, and you know what's funny? My my uh, Kristen's uncle 
just traveled to Patagonia. He was like, he has a bunch of first descents in Lofoten back in the 60s, yeah. which is really yeah. cool. Kristen's uncle's like was a big climber, like big climber in the 60s. He has a lot of first descents there. And and he went down, he traveled down to Patagonia for the first time. I'm like, you are buying the tower. You are reading that book. It is awesome. So, so I made him buy that. Like, did he read it? That's, oh, yeah, he read it. He loved it. And like, that's, that's definitely on the list of recommendations of climbing books all the time. Because that is, okay, because that's funny because I feel like that's a perfect glimpse into Kelly's brain. Oh, it's, it's awesome. Those things get me fired up to go climb. Yeah, no, me too. But here's the thing. I, it, being a skier, being a ski racer always would be tough for me because I felt like I was really, I mean, I just love being in the mountains. I love the mountains so much. And, and being stuck in the valleys of all these beautiful places would just like sometimes really bother me. <laughs> you know, it's like, what am I doing down here in the valleys in the spandex, like ripping around these stupid loops? Like, this is dumb. So essentially, I was just living vicariously through people that, that got to chase their dream uh, up in the higher mountains or even cliffs or whatever. But then what would be cool is I would gain perspective by reading books like that uh, because it's like, you know what, right. but I get oh, to follow sure. my dream too. And what my dream is, is cross country skiing. I do love skiing and it's really, really cool that I'm able to fulfill my passion and chase my dream here in this sport. Like these guys are in the high mountains and you know what, I mean, I have a lot of things I like in life and I could have just as easily picked a dirt bagging lifestyle and, and ski toured and skied for, and climbed for my life. I was definitely crazy into it. Uh, but at the same time, I pick cross country skiing and what a journey that's been too. So there's, uh, but I, yeah, it would fire me up, but it was, it's so different, right? Reading the tower, reading, reading the push or reading the white spider for the sixth time or something like it's so different than putting your ski boots on and going around a loop while somebody's timing you. Right. So it, it just helped. It did just help with perspective. All right. We'll chat tomorrow. Sadly, it's, we'll chat yeah, tomorrow. sadly it's an early morning for me. I'm going to get ready for that. <laughs> Almost done, man. Almost done. All right. Have a good yeah. afternoon. Good evening. Think, yeah, Bye. you too. Take See care. Ya. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening and two more stages to go.